And we are live. Welcome to another episode of Unscripted. And I have a great pleasure to introduce Jason Stagel. Thank you very much for joining me. We were geeking out on some of the podcast equipment. And I, I have, uh, you know, I, I'm so excited to have you. Um, I've watched some of your um, content online. And you're definitely one of the top contributors to the space. Um, why don't we kind of walk, for the people who are not familiar with what you do and how you became a cybersecurity professional, maybe... Walk us through kind of the memory lane in terms of how you get started. Oh, okay. So uh, my name is Jason Slegel. I'm a, the president of CNWR Inc. We are a managed service provider, which is not a thing you want to say when you're in the security space. Interestingly enough, I think uh, kind of had a really long journey to get here. Uh, I've been a computer nerd basically my entire life, right? I'm, I'm 42 now, not afraid to admit it. And I'm the answer apparently the answer to the life of the universe and everything at this age so uh go all the way back to like the 1996 1997 old irc days for for many many years i ran a delnet irc server and i i headed their k lines and exploits team i'm one of the authors of the delnet irc daemon uh so you know just kind of over the years had to deal with these script kitties that were launching you know like 10 gigabit denial of service attacks back when 10 gigabits was like an amount of bandwidth that would actually knock stuff down like these days 10 gigabits they're like yeah nothing they swatted off uh but just kind of stuck with it i've held almost every job in it at this point other than a windows server administrator somehow i've escaped that so uh kind of leaned into the security aspect of things a couple years ago uh, especially in our space, in the managed service space, I feel like uh, both managed service providers and the vendors that support us uh, sometimes drop the ball as far as security goes, and it leaves you know hundreds and thousands of small, medium businesses that just honestly don't know any better unprotected. So, one of the things that I'm trying to do is raise the voice and you know kind of be an advocate for all of those little companies that rely on people like managed service providers to protect them. So Jason, let's uh, double click on a couple of things. What yep. what made you? Um, so you were started kind of as a kind of network engineer. You got mm-hmm. very technical, and then I, I think by by design uh, you had to become um, proficient in cybersecurity, right? Yes. When maybe even before you got it was called, called cybersecurity, it was called IT security at the time. Yeah. Um, do you remember the kind of the first? The first project or first things you kind of encountered that were wrong and you had to fix? I'm just curious what those were. <laughs> oh, I mean, that, that goes Was it access I mean, control? Was yeah, it, net, you know, Linux uh, that goes permissions? Back a long time. Yeah, it's, you know, it used to be for a long time, you know, you naively turn SE Linux off and you're like, this thing's like, it's just the pain in the butt factor, right? It's not, it's not like this is, this tool sucks. It's really hard. It makes my job hard. And then at some point or another, you're like, you know what? I probably ought to have that on. And you, you know, you start going back through and start actually making the rules around it to do that. Uh, I, I mean, that's probably it. I mean, even going back to the days of, you know, back in my old IRC days, just seeing the number of just horribly misconfigured uh, university, they were almost always university proxies and stuff that these threat actors back then, I mean, we didn't even call them threat actors, we called them script kitties, uh, that these threat actors were using to uh, compromise or to basically bounce on IRC. It's, you know, you kind of got a sense for, man, there's probably something to this and we at some point or another should start 
not making this the norm. Yeah, and it's interesting because we start using technology as almost like building the plane while flying it. You know, yeah. I think that's how how you know how I would describe some of the innovations in in technology and how we adopted it. Uh, you know, I still remember at some point in time people said, "Well, the internet, how are we going to make money off it?" Um, you know, and then and then it became more complex. So from the days of the IRC and configuring Windows machines and and routers and network switches, now the the typical enterprise or even a small business has a tremendous amount of technology associated with them, even if they're not in tech, right? And so the complexity level has really gone to exponentially. And, and then that's where kind of the MSPs and MSSP come in. What do you kind of describe me, um, you know, when, for those who are not familiar with the kind of the role and responsibilities for MSP or MSSPs, what, what is that like? Because we kind of always glance over it, but some people are not familiar with that model. Yeah, I mean, so we take care of, uh, in our target market, I mean, I'm in the Toledo, Ohio area, uh, and we, on the MSP side of our house, because we do have a more traditional consulting side, uh, but on the MSP side of the house, we target companies that are in the 15 to 150 employee range, right? So they're, they're on the smaller side, uh, and those companies that we service, uh, they tend to not have in-house IT. Uh, we, we do a have some co-managed offerings, uh, which is why we play in the space we do, right? At 15 to 150, you probably don't need an in-house IT person. Uh, and so we take care of everything, right? It's, it's we'll liaise with a crappy printer company that's bringing crappy exploitable printers in, right? And try to make them less bad. Uh, we uh, liaise with security companies that maybe are bringing in security cameras that are also universally pretty terrible if we don't supply them ourselves. Uh, we do all the patching, all the policy. Uh, we don't, we won't hand you policy, right? We, we always sit down with the organization and develop policy that describes what we're actually going to do, uh, because that varies organization by organization. Uh, but basically technology wise, we own it cradle to grave at these smaller companies. And traditionally these smaller companies may have had somebody who was not it, but it was doing it kind of on the side. Right, and yeah. you're laughing because it's not true. I've I've, I've uh, encountered a hospital. It was they had a, quite a few users, and the person who was running IT was a nurse. Yeah, and they were doing the IT job and and kind of juggling through that. And it, does this model still exist from your experience, or are they all kind of moving into the kind of the MSP model? No, it very much still exists. Uh, they're you know much like MSPs and any any other company has maturity levels. Uh, small businesses have maturity levels, and there are a ton of small businesses that just don't value technology or they they view it as a necessary tool. And so yeah, you get uh, office manager, front desk person. You know the person that's got the most experience using the computer ends up being the like impromptu IT guy or gal. And it's uh yeah that's that's a that's trouble for us. And, and sometimes it's it's um, it's just a pure coincidence. It's like, okay, you, you know, Joe or Duran, because you kind of show some proficiency in, you know, Microsoft, you know, Word and Outlook, you're now handling our network security as well, or network, uh, you know, it's, is that always the case? Or it's just, again, this is something it that you've seen... Over and over. No, we it's very prevalent in the industry, and you can always you can always tell because you know you you come in there they may or may not have a domain right depending on how advanced that person was they may all be sharing 
uh, files off of one person's computer and just not even having a domain. Uh, universally, everyone has local administrator access. There's no password policies in place, right? There's no backups, or if there are backups, it's like a USB drive. Somebody has to switch. It used to be a tape they'd have to change that they never did. Uh, now it's a USB drive they're supposed to unplug once a week that they never unplug. Uh, and yeah, it's just it's a it's not not a good situation normally when you walk into that. In in what you just described, that kind of um, you know threshold of like you know ten employees to one fifty, like the the SMB is small. I mean, that's the kind of the backbone of the U.S. economy. Yeah. And the security and security and controls of that backbone is really paramount for for the entire industry. You know, our well-being as a as a nation. You know, what can we do? And and you're obviously you're you're promoting that. You're advocating for more security, but not a lot of you know. As you can see, the state of affairs is is pretty poor in some of these. Depending on again the maturity level, but you know, how do we collectively, as as cybersecurity professionals, are you know can move the needle on that? Do you recommend everybody to just you know just hire an MSSP, or can there something they can do just to to elevate their you know their posture? Uh, it's it's uh, that's it's really really interesting. That's a I love that question. Uh, I spoke at GERCON last year, uh, cybersecurity conference up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, giving a talk uh, about the insecurities of the MSP toolset, and uh, it was my first time attending the event. And what I learned is that. Uh, much of the security community is actively hostile towards MSPs. They think we're like the worst thing in the world and that we never secure our customers' networks and that uh, things are terrible. But I ask those people to take a step back and compare even the worst of the MSPs with the nurse that is doing IT. Right. So, you know, yeah, as as with all things, we're going to have levels of skill. Right. And in one of my big things that I've been on a big kick for this year is, you know, trying to level up MSPs and encourage them to get knowledge, especially in the security space. But we are even even without that. Right. Even even with some of the lower cost uh, trunk slammers is what we internally refer to them in the industry. Even if you're using one of those, uh, you're still better off. So I think that we need to uh, eliminate some of the stigma in the cybersecurity industry around the term MSP or MSSP uh, and realize that, you know, most of these people, they, they, they have their best interests of their customers in mind. They just also need to level up their own skill sets uh, because, you know, what worked, you know, I, I hearkened back to when I ran an IRC server, right? It's like open SMTP was the norm then, right? Like no one put pass, you didn't require passwords, right? Like, and people would occasionally spam off of people and, you know, that's just, it's not okay now, right? You can't, if you, you can't run an open SMTP server on the internet for more than an hour without somebody dramming millions and millions of emails through it, right? You can't, you open RDP to the world and it's not compromised. It's a matter of minutes before it's popped. Right. So we, we live in this world now, where, as you noted earlier, complexity has increased rapidly, but the mindset of a lot of these companies, especially the smaller ones, it's still back in the nineties where these were toasters, right? I go buy my toaster from Best Buy, I use it until it falls apart. And then I go buy another toaster, right? They don't realize that, man, if that toaster stops making toast and I can't pay my employees and there are people actively trying to set my toaster on fire and, and as you know, the world has kind of grown and allowed us to take care of more 
clients with less employees as MSPs, the same world has evolved for the threat actors, right? So every day that bar to entry gets lower and lower, right? So it's the case where you know, you, what worked for maybe the last eight years, just tomorrow isn't going to work anymore and you're going to have a bad day. Yeah. And I, and I agree with you. Things are, are fastly progressing on all fronts, you know, and I'd like to double click on something you mentioned, um, you know, that MSPs and MSP have a bad rep, but I think that's just, you know, even vendors have a bad rep. It seems like everybody walks around with this, you know, animosity towards each other, uh, on the from the enterprise towards the vendors towards MSSPs and vice versa. It seems like everybody kind of walks around with this, you know, hurts feelings. What is that? We're, we're essentially we're all, as you mentioned, and this is why I love your answer. Um, everybody has. I like to believe it has good intentions, mm-hmm. and I know good intentions are kind of what says the the road to hell leads to good. You know, mm-hmm. it was paved with good intentions, but but everybody. The end of the day, like wants to do a good job, both with vendors, the enterprise, the professionals, the you know the MSPs and so on. Why are we walking around with our, with like you know, you know, with grief all the time? Why is that? That's it's funny because I'm pretty sure the poster you found me, I was definitely throwing shade at a vendor, and I I, I do it <laughs> I do it fairly often. Uh, but you know where I tend to punch is I punch with uh, crappy sales and marketing practices, right? So you know we we live in this interesting world where uh, I can't even define what a pen test is anymore, right? Because I have a whole like team of marketing people at eighteen different companies trying to redefine what us as the industry thinks it is, uh, and and so I think that a lot of that. Uh, a lot of the animosity, at least between vendors and MSPs, comes from uh, the somewhat crappy sales and marketing practices that some of them, and I get it, they're people, they're trying to make their sale, they're trying to go on with their day, right? But, you know, it's 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 really tough uh, when you start redefining industry accepted terms and like you know, EDR was a thing, and now there's MDR. My running joke is I'm just going to make XDR. ZDR. Yeah, I'm going to make ZDR, so there's no more letters, <laughs> right? So the, can we be done with it then? Uh, as far as the animosity towards MSPs go, you know, we are an industry that deserves some amount of that shaming, right? We're, we're an industry that, you know, came out of uh, largely a lot of smaller break-fix computer shops that... Uh, you know, kind of pivoted this, to this proactive model uh, with perhaps not being uh, proactive enough, right? We're some, a lot of MSPs are really late to the game as far as their security stacks and uh, not even stack, it's more they're late to the game in leveling up their security skills, right? And in, in, in realizing that uh, the world is more complicated. So, you know, there's some amount of it that's a little bit deserved, Right. But uh, I, I find that, you know, people I get, I get a lot of crap online for being like this, for like really gruff jerk. And it's like people meet me and they talk to me and they're like, no, he's actually not a bad guy. Right. It's like if people just sit down and talk to each other, they realize that most of us are swimming in the same direction. And and I think some people just adopt certain personas online. And when you meet them, they're very different. But let me double click also on the fact that, um, there is a problem, I think, in our industry is the fact that um, from a product perspective, uh, a very few, um, you know, regulatory, you know, constraints. So, for example, when talking about the toaster, mm-hmm. you cannot release a toaster that's going to blow up and burn your house down. But you can deliver, 
software does kind of almost similar, but in, in the in the kind of the uh, you know bits and bytes world, because there isn't any like you know defined what what is an acceptable use in, in security, right? Yeah, it's even worse than that. Uh, with the way the current market is and the way funding is and the entire venture capital model, you're almost required to uh, release a product that uh, you you rush to market with a minimal viable product. You know, you're you're running from seed round to seed round, and you know they're not th- those uh, venture capitalists. They're not applauding your you know additional layers of security. They're applauding the new feature that that attracted new users. Right. So uh, until we start to see some level of, you know, audit or compliance around like, you know, we're not going to fund you unless you pass these minimum standards of uh, of security in your product. Until we start seeing something like that, I don't think it's going to change, unfortunately. Yeah. And we've seen even when when, you know, product uh, manufacturers, they've, you know, they've they've announced publicly that they were hacked and they've had some major flaws in the product. Um, you know, insert, you know, vendor X here and it almost like nothing happens. And some of them actually even twist it around and, and almost like say, well, you know, now we, we give us an opportunity to become better at what we do and yeah. secure our environment better. You know, what's your take on that? Is that, is that, is that still acceptable? Why are we as in the industry are, are just, allowing this to you know business as usual despite the fact that you know things are crumbling in some of these uh, companies giant sigh there uh i i have yet to see a company that has had a major security breach that has that is publicly traded that has felt it on their balance sheet for more than about a quarter Right. Like even if you look at, I don't know if we name names here, but I'm going to pick on solar winds, right? If you look at their, their pretty big onerous breach, uh, it didn't really hurt them. The stock market, they took a short-term hit and it was back up within no time at all. Uh, I, I don't know what the solution to that is, right? Like we've had a couple of like very recent examples where, you know, these are startups and again, startups, I, they're, they're slow, they're, the, the journey from a startup to an enterprise is a long one that is largely filled with uh, patching up the holes in the wall that are technical debt that you've left along the way to get to the, the forefront of your market, right? So uh, it, it, some of that takes some amount of time. Uh, but, I mean, again, without some sort of forcing hand, I, I just I don't see it. Like, the markets don't care. Right. So if the markets don't care, then what other uh, what other avenue do we have to hold these companies accountable? And can we vote with our with our feed or with our buying powers? For example, you as an MSP and MSP, I have the ability to pick and choose the product associated with because because of what in terms of what you do, because some a lot of time the your customers don't care. Do whether that. it's vendor X or vendor yeah. Y, so you fact, have the you freedom of doing it, yeah. <laughs> right? So can you? And that's by the way, that's the fastest growing segment of of IT and cybersecurity, like because of the complexity. There are what seventy thousand MSPs mm-hmm. or MSSP out there. Um, you'd be crazy to run your own SOC today or run your own IT. You know, it's just so costly and so complicated. So do you think eventually? Because, you know, there's obfuscation level with MSPs in terms of what products they pick. You think eventually vendors will have to be more 
you know, more on the ball in terms of what it is they do, just because due to the fact that they can be displaced at any given time? Uh, yes and no. Uh, I very much vote with my wallet, and uh, there's certain vendors that I do my best to not do business with. There, there's one I'm on my way out of now that is in the news right now with some stuff that just happened with their only remaining product of theirs I use. Uh, it, uh, the problem logistically from the MSP side is that a lot of these, uh, a lot of these companies have, uh, the same companies that perform and react to security stuff poorly, uh, also have some of the worst contract terms for the MSPs, right? So a lot of times uh, MSPs can't even uh, get out of the contract if there is an incident to move to another product. And then even worse than that, some of these vendors even have non-disparagement agreements in there. So, you know, if they do perform poorly, you're not even allowed to tell other people about it. I th that's just a bunch of crap. And do you have to sign these agreements? Do you, I mean, if you want to use their product. Well, there's like thousands of vendors, though. Like, what do you can you like, you know, pick and choose? I mean, for every category, you know, let's yeah. let's pick, you know, pick EDR. There are like yeah. hundreds of vendors on on that front. Yep. So why can you pick some vendor that oh. is that plays ball? We do on the uh, so... EDR side and the traditional security product side. It's a little bit easier, right? Like there there may be hundreds of EDR products. There's some subset of them that play in our channel space, right? Where we can. Uh, they have the multi-tenancy and the other features that we need to use them. Uh, for things like that, it's it's pretty easy to pick one, right? Like uh, there's everyone has their favorite, and I won't name any names here, but there's three or four vendors that are pretty prevalent in our industry. Uh, it gets a little harder when you start looking at like our remote monitoring and management tools or uh, the PSA, which is like basically our Salesforce and the backbone of our entire business billing-wise. Uh, there's a number of startups there that are iterating and moving quickly, but they're just not the feature parity of uh, the the big three or big four that, that are out there that, that kind of own the space. Uh, and those big three, uh, it was four, one of them got acquired by another one of them, so now there are three. Uh, those big three tend to be some of the ones that have the most onerous contract terms because they know that there aren't very many other places for you to go. Yeah, it's it's super interesting. It's it's super interesting. And let me ask you this: since you already kind of covered some of that, when you are deciding to to move into a new category in terms of service offering, mm -hmm. what process do you go through in terms of picking out the right technology? This is a I love this. This is another one because uh, you know I've given a couple of talks this year. Uh, I gave one at CompTIA Channel Con where I kind of went through this. Uh, I kind of take a journey where uh, I have to identify the problem I'm trying to solve, right? So it's like I gain the knowledge to be able to solve it myself without the use of any tool and my team to solve it themselves without the use of any tool. Uh, we document some process and procedures around it. Uh, we look to see potentially if I can use one of my other existing tools, right? Like I, the last thing I want to do is like, I already run like four four agents on most PCs, right? You got AV, the RMM agent, remote control. Uh, and then there's a, a password elevation, like a privilege management, that, right? So I'm running four agents on every PC. The last thing I want to do is add a fifth if I don't have to. Uh, on some servers, we run more than that, right? So it's like, can I use an existing tool for the job? The answer to that, sometimes no. 
uh, once I know how to do it myself, then I can evaluate contenders to do the job for me in a more automated fashion. And, and now since I, since I personally, since we hold the knowledge to do it ourselves, uh, then we can directly make ROI comparisons to say, well, this tool, you know, if it does, if it performs in the trial, like it looks like it's gonna, then it's gonna save me this much time per user, right? And I can make financial and quantified decisions based on knowledge. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of MSPs in our space, they don't do that. They're like, oh, we need to do, we need to do SAS monitoring. And they just like spin the wheel of vendors and just pick a random vendor off the wheel. And it's usually the one that has the most sales and marketing budget. And that's the one that they end up picking. Uh, I, I don't agree with that approach. Isn't it all about the MRR though? Like yeah. the monthly recurring revenue, like how can we marginally increase, you know, the, these services therefore per customer it is uh, it, but you know it's like i've we have industry benchmarks as to where we need to land margin wise right and so you know we kind of I'm, I'm a devops guy right so we kind of control chart it right so i have a minimum and a maximum uh margin that i uh, that i'm aiming for with each customer and a lot of times if if i identify a need uh and the, the customer isn't already down towards the lower end of that margin bucket, I don't need to extract more revenue from them, right? I, I have enough margin to play with to just add that additional tool in there just as a uh, an extra little peace of mind, right? Because I figure uh, I've already done some ROI to know that I'm not going to lose a ton of money. It's probably going to save me some labor. Uh, but a lot of these tools, uh, breaches are expensive, right? You, you really only have to prevent one to for all of these things to always pay for themselves right so you, you kind of look at the what could happen if you don't do the the things you need to do and what's the process when you get to a to a new client uh -huh. right what's the process how do you spin them off like what is you know in terms of like how, adding them to the stack of what they need to do and do you do you do like um like it's almost like a status like you know like what is the threshold yeah. in terms of because the last thing you want to do is you know, get a client that has like terrible practices and then a month later they get hacked and then it's your your neck on, on the line because you now yeah. they're your customers. How do you how do you prevent that type from happening? So uh, a couple of things uh, we so uh, we are fairly unique in our area. We're unique and I get a lot of pushback from the clients uh, for this. Uh, we have uh, an, ass an assessment we do and it's paid, right? Like I'm not like a lot of MSPs do free assessments, but realistically, how much time can they be spending on the thing you're giving away for free, right? So you get like a half hour of a sales guy's time. We do a full uh, cybersecurity slash network assessment where we come out and uh, I'm, I'm poking at internal, external with Burp Suite and Nessus, right? Like I'm, you know, seeing, it's not a full pen test. I'm not gonna try to like hack in and laterally move, but it's like I've identified where vulnerabilities do exist. And sometimes I poke them and see if I can escalate, right? I just don't laterally move. Uh, we, we write up, you know, deficiencies on both the security and the non-security side of it. And uh, each onboarding comes with uh, two phases, right? One is like just standard onboarding, which like get our tools, allow us to be able to service you. But almost every one of them comes with a remediation project, which is this is where you need to get to from a minimal standards 
like standpoint before I'm willing to accept liability of this stuff. Uh, some of it we do pretty quick. Some of it we do uh, over time where, it, where we can afford to, to not break budgets. Uh, but there is a certain set, like we won't, I won't take a client on that doesn't have cyber liability insurance right now. I, I literally can't insure myself enough to cover every single one of my clients. So every one of my clients has to have a cyber liability policy. So if you don't and you can't get one because you don't have MFA on email, then before I am taking you on in a fully managed role, we're doing MFA for email as part of remediation project. That's, that's super interesting. So you must have sometimes difficult conversations that you have to, to have. Because yeah. it's not, you know, a customer will say like, what do you mean you can't take me on as a client? You know, and, and they don't obviously don't like the answer and they probably just want easy fix, yeah. right? What's the easy staples button and they like easy and they just think, okay, you know, as soon as I call you, yeah. you come over and then the next day I'm, I'm, I'm done, yeah. you know, I'm ready. I'm good to go. I mean, somebody will always take them on. Right. And that's where we get to this like level of maturity of MSPs. There's always an MSP willing to take them. Uh, but yeah, I definitely write a good amount of uh, security and assessment reports where it's like I'm juggling dumpster fires. Like, which of these things is most likely to burn the house down first? Right? Like, you need to fix these three things, and and it's a it's a balancing act, right? It's like we have our stack and our generally supported standards, right? Like, we for better or worse use Meraki because uh, it's like the correct amount of ease of management for my hires and security and enough stuff to, to make it palatable. But man, if you have uh, supported vendor supported, that's still getting security updates, like layer two and layer three switches internally, like I'm not going to make you replace those for me to service you. Right. But the key there is, is that all of those pieces have to have vendor support and vendor security updates. Cause one of the things we are going to do quarterly or, or monthly or as needed is we're going to apply the vendor patches to these things to keep them secure. Uh, so yeah, there are, there are definitely some tough conversations with clients that, like, yes, I can't, it's usually not, if we, we usually don't get to the point we'll sever way before, like right after the assessment, if I can't take them on. Uh, but a lot of times the tough conversation is like, yeah, your environment, you know how you haven't had any IT budget for like the past five years. Yeah, it very much shows. And now you're going to have to write a very big check to get you to the point where I can actually service you. So do you have, do you have like, you know, just one of those things you say, like your buddy that we say, Hey, you know, I, I can't do anything for you, but you know, Joe down the street has maybe they maybe that will take you. We used to. Uh, I stopped doing that uh, only because I don't want to refer uh, somebody to somebody else that isn't going to take care of them, right? So it's uh, and that's part of the decision here, right? It's like we've spent a lot of time kind of making ourselves known that we're good security wise, right? So. The reputational damage to me, if I if I recommend a not as good MSP, you go there and then you get breached. It's just not worth the reputational damage. Yeah, it makes sense. And you mentioned that you, as a service providers, have have um, a certain risk threshold mm -hmm. that that you you, uh, you have ability to take ownership on. Do you feel that it's less now that you're more mature as a company, you have more clients? and have a reputation than when you were just starting out there, you would say, Hey, I'll, I'll take anybody and just, I just need the revenue. I need to grow. Uh, yeah, we, we've always probably been a little more picky than many. Uh, and, but that is definitely increased over time, right? Where it's like, it used to be, 
that I just wouldn't take new clients on. I'm now actively trimming clients that are uh, not willing to take some of the security journey that some of them have been clients for many years and it's we're going to part ways because they just won't do the things necessary to protect themselves and they don't see the value in it. And it's, it's, it's a misalignment, right? It's like, I, it, our maturity MSP wise is like here, right? And if you're here, like maybe I can raise you, but if you're like way down here, there's the gap's just too big, right? We're going to have to part ways. I mean, it's maybe the Pareto principle where it's the 80, yeah. 20, like you probably make, you know, 80% of the revenue from 20% of the customers. Yep. And so at some point you got to figure it out. Um, and, and then you mentioned that you have a sweet spot. So first of all, how do you scale your business? I mean, meaning like, how do you get, make sure that you have the resources associated with taking on mm-hmm. ownership of new clients and why have you decided specifically to kind of stay in that category of, of company size and not, cause sometimes, you know, people, uh, you know, MSP gets enamored by the larger organization with larger contracts. Um, you know, I mean, maybe some more headaches or whatever, more compliance and all kinds of stuff they need to worry about, but they, there's definitely more money yeah, behind, sure. behind those larger. So it's just an interesting question. Well, there. Yeah. So we, uh, there is for any given point and there's three or four buckets of size, right? Like the, the work and the effort required to support like a one to 10 user company is different than the kind of work it requires to support like 10 to 50. Uh, the industry has kind of accepted some like standardized buckets. We're kind of blending them a little bit because it, it should be like 25 to a hundred. We should be taking of, we found at least locally here that we can take up to 150 and we, we can come down to uh, 15 to do it. And what that largely depends on is what the tooling looks like, right? It's like the, the uh, tools that I use to support companies, uh, they tend to change a little bit as you get bigger, like the bigger companies have a lot more complex needs, right? So they require slightly different approaches, you know, then I'm fighting with things like doing exemption rules all the time instead of my privilege ask, as, uh, access management platform. And, uh, it, 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 it just doesn't, it, it doesn't work as well when you fall outside of those ranges. Like it's like we have a very relatively cookie cutter approach and it's customized where it's needed to each client, but we know that most businesses in the 15 to 150 space, they need these things, you know, they need a file server. They're probably running honestly QuickBooks or Sage 50 Peachtree, Sage 50 or uh, they're right. They they've got email needs, right, which are going to end up being Office 365 almost the entire time unless they're a school, in which case it's Google. Uh, they're right in in they have a single line of business app and that's it. Right. That powers their entire business. Uh, when you start talking about, you know, like a 500 person, uh, uh, manufacturing firm, I'm in Toledo, Ohio, we're manufacturing, right? Like, uh, now they've got a real accounting system, right? They're running Epicor, or maybe they've got SAP or right. They're running one of the big ERP CRM platforms uh, that now you have to try to manage and maintain. Uh, they've got, uh, multiple needs for file storage that are a lot more complex, right? It's, it's, the, it, it, and it's not undoable. It's just a different set of tooling and skills that you, that you need to acquire. Uh, and 
the largest share of my cost per client is labor, right? So as soon as you fall outside of that bucket where things work well, my labor costs go up quickly, right? Because now I don't have the tooling in place to automate it. So we're going to have to do it all manually. So uh, there are some pretty industry accepted uh, numbers uh, as far as like I should be spending about 33% of my revenue on staff, right? And, and so uh, when you start to scale outside of those, you know, brackets that I've made, I can tell that my staffing costs go up based on the revenue. So, you know, we just kind of tuned ourselves to fit into that little notch and that's, there's plenty of those here. So that's where we've kind of landed. Yeah. And it's interesting. We mentioned that manufacturing, it seems like there's no escape right now from, from becoming a high tech or, you know, this just, even if you manufacture widgets, mm -hmm. you know, you potentially falls under CMMC or some other regulatory and as you mentioned specifically, for example, having cybersecurity um, uh, insurance uh, policy requires you to have a certain threshold. So there's almost no escape, regardless of how low tech you are as a business, um, from getting yourself in line and in check in terms of the security controls, right? Is that a correct assessment? Yeah, I think so. I think once you get below 10 or 15, you, you can survive, right? It's like we had a landscape company we we're talking about and it's like, you know, if we're hacked, we're just gonna go back to paper receipts and that. I'm like, okay, nope, you're actually probably right. You could probably actually do that, right? But when uh, the manufacturing, you know, 100 person manufacturing client tells me the same thing, I'm like, no, you're not, you can't. How, so we'll start here. How are you gonna pay your employees? Well, you know, we'll just read the records off the time clock. Okay, well, the time clocks are electronic, boom, you're done, right? Like it's, it's uh, the, the world is moving to an electronic era, especially COVID forced that handily, right? So uh, all of these solutions that, you know, potentially at one point or another, you might've done manually just for efficiency and productivity, per, like reasons you've, you've moved away from the time clock that physically punches a card that somebody has to read the times off of an enter, right? Like you went to an electronic time clock you're no longer sitting out with the calculator and calculating payroll, right? You're using a service to do that, right? You got to upload the time to the service to calculate payroll, right? It's, uh, you, you don't even write checks anymore, right? Like you, you use a bill pay service online and uh, so many people just don't even think about that. And, and your, your digital assets, okay. uh, you know, essentially we're a knowledge-based economy. So even if you are manufacturing widgets, and you know the process of which you manufacture these widgets or and perfected over 25 years has a high value to for example some nation state adversaries they're trying to steal that and so everyone is a target yep. do people still feel feel that they're like oh we're we're small we're nobody so we were yeah. protected 100% uh, of small businesses feel like they're not a target uh, my buddy Tom Lawrence uh, posted something online the other day about it and I thought it was quite fitting right it's like it's not that the the threat actors aren't targeting you it's that you're too small to make the news Right. So the the small companies, they're getting breached the same as the big companies. I mean, maybe not quite the, it, it actually probably more of them are getting breached. Right. But it's it's potentially not as bad when it happens. Uh, but they just don't make the news. Right. There's there's just isn't you'd have to have like a nightly segment on the news about what local companies got like ransomware. And you'd have to run a list. Right. Because there are just that many of these things happening. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So. Listen, I would like to keep on going and maybe we'll do a second because I feel like I'm just kind of getting warmed up in terms of the questions. If if you are um, a uh, SMB 
and is currently thinking about potentially just hiring and getting on the MSP, MSSP board, what are the top things you have to look for in terms of, you know, how you shop around into, into getting a service provider? Because, because it's a, it's a, it's a really difficult decision. And I think also maybe people take it lightly, but it's, they become partners of yours an extension of your company. So you have to make the right decision. And you, you mentioned specifically benchmarking and all that stuff. So I'm assuming you're, you're, you you're trying to see how you compare to others and yep. there's so many yep. how would you how would you recommend going about that uh so yeah i mean the first thing you said is it's 100 percent true right like uh if you have an effective relationship with your provider it is a partnership right it's like you're not only calling them when you need a password reset right like they're involved in choosing technology setting up technology right like the the whole life cycle of it uh a simple easy first question that uh, I, I would ask if I was shopping for one, will you allow my users to have local administrative access on their workstations? And if they say yes, run. <laughs> right? Like from a security standpoint, I mean, that's table stakes, right? It's like, uh, you know, how do you, how do you, uh, how do you set up and run multi-factor authentication for my employees on email? Right. And if they say we don't, or, uh, we use security defaults, then again, run, right? Like, it's like, these aren't, they're, they're not taking security seriously. Uh, and then, you know, frankly, ask them uh, how many of their customers over the past 12, what percentage of their customers over the past 12 months have had an incident? Don't say, don't say breach. Breach is a bad word in this industry. Say incident, right? And, and you know, the answer should be low. Uh, if you're, you know, if these, the threat actors, while they are breaching small companies, they're breaching small companies in a uh, very automated fashion, right? The, the payout's not high enough for them to spend a lot of their time doing it, right? So uh, I, I've told this analogy a couple of times and I think it's great. It's like, you, you know, that you have that whole adage of like, I don't need to run faster than the bear. I just need to run faster than the guy next to me. That's a hundred percent true here, right? It's like perfect protection is impossible, right? Like that you can almost always find a way in if you're motivated enough, but you still lock your doors, right? So you just need to make yourself uh, a, a, a harder target than all of your peers. And th then they're the ones that are gonna get hit, right? So uh, you you should, if, they're, if the MSP is doing well and taking care of it, that number should be relatively low. They should not be dealing with a lot of breaches. And they happen. They inevitably happen to everyone. Usually human elements are involved. Somebody gets fished, uh, a lot of wire fraud, stuff like that. But it should still be relatively low. And should you compare, uh, you know, I mean, everybody's price sensitive. Yeah. But what's your take on comparing the cost or the investment associated with joining as a partner. That is very location dependent, uh, but I would say pretty universally, if anyone's telling you they can do it for less than, uh, I'm gonna throw a $125 a month a user out there. If anyone's telling you they can do it for, le for less than that, they're probably not securing you that well. Uh, just some of the tools, you know, once you start talking SIM, right? Like all of our clients get SIM uh, and it's expensive. It's one of the most expensive pieces of our, our service offering, right? So uh, all of our users, we, we do Microsoft 365 Business Premium or yeah, we have a couple of E3, but generally we don't sell Business Standard, Business Basic, right? Because we want Azure Active Directory P1, so we get conditional access policies, right? Those are expensive pieces. And
doesn't. And so when you get down to the hundred, you know, eighty, sixty dollar a user price point, they just can't be doing those. They're they're either losing a ton of money or uh, they're running a very basic tool set, which is probably just remote monitoring management and AV, and then just hoping that's enough. Yeah, it's super interesting. Yeah, the, you know, the the cost is there no matter what. Um, and maybe it leads me to the kind of maybe like one of the last questions. And how do you how do you show value? You know, the ROI associated with with running it because if you do a great job, you're you know, it's always the question like, okay, nothing happens, and um, you know, and at the end of the, the end of the year, um, they do want to see, or maybe quarterly, they want to see like some sort of like, okay, what. You know, because if they don't talk to you, yeah. what have you done? Uh, what have you done? If for we me? don't talk to them for a year, then something's wrong, right? Like we, we, as part of our engagements, uh, kind of play like a virtual CISO or CISO in a virtual CIO kind of role where, you know, we're kind of uh, wanting to meet with them on a security front, you know, even quarterly, somebody from my team will talk to them and, you know, they'll talk a little bit about what the current threat landscape looks like. Uh, we, we mostly want to hear about their business, right? Like we, we want to talk to them about what they have going on. Uh, but it is hard, as you pointed out, that this is a, how do you prove a negative, right? It's like, oh, you didn't get breached. Did, did you not get breached because of what I did? Or did you not get breached because no one tried to breach you? Uh, so you can go in. Uh, we used to have reports that would say, we stopped so many threats, blah, blah, blah. It's like the business owners don't care about that. They, they're, they're trying to run a business, right? So uh, especially in the small business space, if if you're in active communications with the customer and you're kind of talking about what the threat landscape looks like and, and, and you're, you know, trying to be a partner and be an executive team member of that company, uh, that alone tends to show the value. And I don't have to produce a bunch of reports with a bunch of fake scary numbers on them trying to trying to show my value. And do they do you give out your your personal cell phone or is it something they have to go through like the main number? Sparingly, uh, I. <laughs> I've had my cell phone number since 1997, so I covet it, and I, I try not to get it out. Calling me is not a valid way to get support, right? So uh, I give it out to VIP clients just as an escalation point. Uh, but if it's like if you call me up and you're like, oh, so-and-so can't do that, I'm like, you got to put a ticket in. I can't. I, I'm so... I'm still very technical, but I'm no longer technical on that side of the house uh, that you know I'm going to be able to help with that sort of thing. Yeah, but listen, like I would, I would totally see like how you you provide the real comfort. Yeah. You know, if somebody calls you up and because you have that experience yeah. and you've done it so much and you sure. know how to to engage, um, and that leads me to kind of the last question: How is the best for people to to get hold of you and and know more about what yeah. you guys do, uh, whatever the case? Sure. May be. I mean, if you, if you're in the market. Uh, we tend to service the Toledo, Ohio area, so I'm, I think I'm a little bit out of your New York. Uh, uh, I think New York. I don't know if it's state or city, uh, the yeah. big city. Uh, I'm a little bit out of your your geo, but uh, you know, cnwr.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. That's where I'm most active. I tried Twitter. I just I can't. It just doesn't vibe with me. Uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn. You can just search for Jason Slegel or Jason Slegel CNWR. You should find me. Awesome. Thank you yeah. very much. And again, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, the conversation was, uh, you know, I, I found very, very interesting. Love to maybe like dig a little bit more in some of the sure. topics is, uh, related to MSSPs, but maybe some other yeah. time. But until then, uh, thank you very much for joining me today. Much appreciated. Thanks for all for joining and stay safe online as well as offline. Yeah, no worries. Thank, thank you, you, Jason.